just uh, go through these cycles. I trim up all the edges, sit up straight, look right into the future. My God, what a clear floor. Right up. Have you ever heard of a drink called uh, Orphan Annie's Debauch? You haven't? Oh, it's really something. It's a good drink. Oh, I can't give you the... Uh, you want to know what the ingredients are? I can't give you the ingredients. You must send your name and address to Orphan Annie's Downfall here at uh, WOR, New York. And you must guarantee that you are over 21 and a dedicated student of the arts. You must, uh, and, uh, I would like you to draw on your card, or like you have to demonstrate your ability to handle this drink. I want you to draw on the card a reasonable facsimile of Little Orphan Annie. And our judges will judge them impartially, and you'll be graded on neatness and aptness of thought. That's the Orphan Annie's debauch. Oh, I'll tell you, it's going to be the biggest thing this spring at backyard barbecue parties when you want real action to begin. Uh, would you give me a little real action music there, please? Uh, I'd like to see it. Thank you very much. That's magnificent. We are taking this opportunity to perform a genuine public service on this uh, struggling, uh, weary, fighting to the last ditch avenue of human communication. This <laughs> electronic outlet here we call our radio station. This <laughs> is a little hobby we got. But uh, I'd like to salute uh, tonight as part of a public service, uh, uh, it's a true public service, not, you know, I'm not going to tell you Girl Scout cookies that try to get you to join the Marines, send in your blood, or submit yourself to the white slaveries, the, the rings of East Africa, or anything like that, you know, real public service. What we're going to do is, is tonight, as part of our public service, please bring it up there. tonight, taking this opportunity to do it for all of you, because most of you just don't have any outlet. that you bought yourself a Radio Shack bullhorn and uh, plugged it in and turned it out the window. Uh, many of you have just one small voice, but we have a 50,000 watt voice rolling like a green poison gas over the entire eastern seaboard. Good. Uh, we keep that in abeyance with you, Barney. You may need that again when our spirits flag. You know, speaking of flagging spirits, you realize, of course, that uh, that there's been nothing but bad news, right? I mean, I, let's face it, that's what news is about these days. Uh, everything, you know, bad news. <laughs> Isn't it true? Bad news. And if you ever come on, you say, oh, there's good news tonight. They think you're some kind of a cuckoo bird. What do you mean? Either that or your ratings are plummet. So, uh, let's face it, bad news is what news is today. That's a kind of redundancy to say bad news, really. It is. So, uh, we'll stick with the facts. It's news. You know, as well as I do, that uh, every time you turn on the radio or watch uh, one of these guys on TV, he's always reporting the gross national product once again dipped to a new low in over 150 years since the invention of the wheel. You hear this. When they say over 7 million people are now out of work, which is a percentage of 97.16% now are laying on the daybed all day long and staring at the ceiling. Right. So I, I have come to you tonight with some more bad news. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's just normal, see. I've come to you tonight 
with the ultimate bad news. Now, I, I, in fact, I did this thing exactly ten years ago, and I was laughed at. I got all kinds of letters from people. Oh, come on, you're blowing it out. What are you talking about, you, you crummy, rotten exaggerator? You exaggerate more than Lenny Bruce, who was still alive at the time. Well, I'll say this. I was uh, looking back over my notes on previous shows, and I did an entire three-show series once based on the premise that most of us don't really fear the right things. I mean, you fear losing your dope. Don't, buddy. That's just paper. People fear, uh, you know, they, they fear losing their wife. <laughs> Probably the best thing you can happen to a lot of you guys. And to her, too, I might add. Knowing you, you clutch. I <laughs> mean, with 42 Heath kits down in the basement you never finished. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. All the, all the tires piled up in the garage, right? Yeah, that's right. Right. And that little bimbo down in the steno department. Yeah, I know all about that. Okay. So the point is here that uh, most of us really seriously don't fear the right things. We just don't. Uh, this is although very common and uh, uh, to be taken as part of nature itself. It's quite correct. The geranium quietly growing uh, does not have any concept of some idiot coming along and picking it and sticking it in his lapel. He doesn't fear that. He fears, uh, well, you know, getting stepped on by a horse, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> well, all right, now, the question is, what do you fear? I mean, do you, uh, let's just stand up now and look, you know, look right at that cheap Japanese loudspeaker there you got. Look right at it. Yeah, pure plastic, right? Huh? It's got a rattle. It's got a bad voice coil, with, you know, and the, the cone. Somebody put a thumb through the speaker cone, right? Okay, that's only to be expected with life. Some guys even buy them already with bad voice coils and busted. I, I saw a guy just the other day, a friend of mine, he buys this radio. People are so idiotic about buying radios. The guy buys a radio, you know. He loves to look at it. He just loves to look at it, see, because it looks like something that's an official piece of equipment. It looks like it either came out of a, a T-42 Russian tank, you know, that new style, the style that was like quasi-military equipment, there's a big difference between that stuff and the real thing. So he buys this great-looking cabinet, see. So I said to him, I said, Frank, I said, uh, how about let's put in some batteries in and see how it goes. He said, oh, wait a minute, look at this thing. Just look at this. It's got a... The, the dial, for example, looks like an ADF. Now, for those of you who don't know what an ADF is, an ADF indicator, an ADF head in the aircraft, is this round, flat dial with 360 degrees marked on it. It looks like a compass, actually. And it has an airplane, an aircraft, outlined on it, you see. And so an ADF, is used, it's, a, it's a direction-finding equipment. It looks very jazzy. He's got that thing, you know. I said, Frank, you, can't, you cannot find your direction with that. That's a fake. It just looks like an ADF. He said, oh, but look at this. Great. It's, got, it's, got, it's got military equipment toggle switches on it. In case you get caught in a gas attack, see, you have to turn it on dark when you're in the, in the foxhole, I see, or in the trench, and you have no light. These uh, have automatic uh, foam-operated switches. I said, well, Frank, I don't know how many, how many uh, gas attacks you get out there in Warren Township, but I presume when rush hour and the wind is blowing the right way from Secaucus, you might have a little problem there. Sure, I agree with that one. <laughs> you know, it's got a it's got a webbing strap on it. You know, the kind sort of a leather. It's got a webbing. You know, the kind the kind of webbing that you have on a on a, a gas mask. You're very looking efficient. So I said, that's great. So we we put the batteries in. They turned the thing on, 
and uh, there's a little hum. I don't know how it managed it. It was very interesting. It got a hum with batteries. Now, that's not easy to achieve. That takes really creative electronic work. But he did. He had a nice 60-cycle uh, hum in a, in a battery-operated receiver, which, you know, for, for I didn't want to say to him. I said, it's fantastic. must have a, a hum generator built into it. <laughs> you know, battery-operated arm generator. So I said, that's very nice, Frank. He said, yeah, yeah, that's very good. Sounds like a real radio, doesn't it? I said, yes, a, a real radio of the cockamamie variety does have a hum like that. I suppose people want to feel it. You know, a hum makes it feel good. So it's humming away there. So we started to tune in the radio stations, and they started to come in. And each one it was, it was it would come in, he had this, uh, what looked like a, uh, well, it was an ILS type. Now, you know what an ILS indicator is? Well, you don't. Huh? Well, that's an instrument landing system. And the ILS system uh, in, a, in an airplane consists really of a type of receiver, but it has three different lighting bulbs, three lighting indicators on the, on the uh, control panel of the aircraft. See, when you're over the outer marker, one bulb lights. When you're over the inner marker, another bulb lights. And it's uh, two red lights using a green light that they go off and on. It's very complicated and tremendously satisfying to see those lights go off and on. <laughs> it really is. And he's got an ILS indicator dial. If he's to the left of the station, the one on the left lights up red. If he's to the right of the station, the one on the right lights up. And if he's right on the station, the one in the middle that's green lights up. Oh, what fun. So it's lighting up like a, you know, like a pinball in a Brooklyn candy store. And uh, it's going great. Everything but a tilt on it. And uh, so it lights up in the middle there, and he, we tune in the station. See, and I hear the stick. And I said, Frank, you know, that hum is making him sound like he has a bad cold. And is that all the volume he can get? He said, yeah, you know, this is what they call a personal radio. You don't want to disturb the other people. Which means, of course, that it has 0.01 watt output, uh, roughly about the same output that you get when you bite down on a piece of tinfoil with a filled tooth. And you, <laughs> you know, you get that little electric shock. Well, the point of the whole story is is that his radio, when I took the back off to look at the magnificent equipment inside of it, had a three-quarter-inch loudspeaker. Had a loudspeaker roughly the size of an old Buffalo Indian head-type nickel. I didn't know they made loudspeakers that small. It was really an ingenious thing. About the size of your thumbnail. And uh, so, friends, if you're... Uh, if you're listening to me right now on one of those uh, speakers, I don't sound like the way you think I sound. I really don't. <laughs> I know, sir. And, uh, and, uh, we're, it, no, we have magnificent sound here. 50,000 watts just racking out there. This is WOR New York. And uh, what well, get, get me back to your fears. Now, no, wait, just hold those commercials in advance there for a minute, uh, Barney. When you, you know, when you start talking to people about fear, they sit up. Uh, either that or they, they just uh, sort of slump. Uh, they do that occasionally, or sometimes guys just start grabbing who's ever near them. So, come here, baby. Uh, that's part of it. But nevertheless, I came to the conclusion in this show that I did some time ago that the true things that we should fear, we never do. Like, for example, how, uh, how long has it been recently since you have seriously thought about uh, the possible end of the earth? Now, that would end all your money troubles right there. I mean, <laughs> that would even end the IRS. Uh, the whole damn Michigan would, ah, it's all gone, which might not be a bad idea, the Big Bang Theory, 
being what it is, we'd be an interesting theory to somebody else on another planet. And they would conjecture about what happened to our little ball of, of uh, hamburger floating through space here, dripping gravy all over the solar system. Now, the question here is, uh, all right, you said, what do you mean, Shepard, the end of the earth? That's, the, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, Flash Gordon stuff, you know, Buck Rogers stuff. No, no. The earth could end at any second. Yes, it could. The earth could end at any second. And many a, many a uh, celestial body has ended just like that. Now, how, you think that only happens out there, huh? <laughs> That's what I believe. Well, we must have some kind of safeguard against that. They're crying out loud. I mean, with the modern uh, technology we've got, there must be some safeguard. We must have some kind of an interlock system to prevent the end of the earth, right? Right. Now, now before I get into these commercials, and I have to say this uh, must go on record, is... Uh, as the, 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 I think kids in general, and this is one thing that kids have over, you know, real human beings, but the one thing I will say about kids, <laughs> I have a couple of things to say about kids. You know, in my, my attitude generally about kids makes W.C. Fields look like a guy who, uh, in his off hours, spends his time teaching Sunday school classes and taking little toddlers out to the park to see the birdies. Well, uh, you know, so I, I have to, you know, I have to come to the you know, conclusion, though, that there, are, there is a difference between adults and non-adults. You see, I think a person gets a certain age, when he gets older, he ceases to be an adult, too. There's only a period in your life when you, you are an adult. Do you buy that, Barney? You grow out of being an adult. Then you get to be one of these uh, guys that uh, jog a lot and you, you play tennis constantly. Huh? <laughs> that's another ballgame. But uh, seriously, though, uh, I do think that, uh, that uh, that's why old, very old people and kids, little kids, have a great deal in common because neither one of them are operating adults. Now, that is not to say that the person who is an old person is not mature. That does not mean he's necessarily an adult. So... Uh, here you got the scene, see, right there in the middle is the, are the adults. Now, the kids, uh, real little kids, see, uh, the one thing about little kids is that they they still, uh, they're new on the earth, you see. They really are. They don't know it, but they're really new. Many kids, you know, kid kids five. To him, uh, the world has been going on forever. He doesn't, uh, to you, you can't remember before you were born. Nobody can. And so uh, at any given time in your life, uh, the concept of how long you've been alive is always the same. We'll let that uh, marinate there for a while down in the bones, and uh, we'll throw in a little green peppers with that. Okay, a little pinch of garlic. Okay, now, so uh, <laughs> so here's here's a kid. See, but the one thing about kid is that he thinks about primal things because uh, he doesn't. He, he being a kid, first of all, gives you. A deep and profound sense of insecurity. Yeah, impermanence. First of all, every kid in the world believes that within the next 12 minutes, his parents are going to die a horrible death. And uh, he'll never see them again, and he will, he will be cast bereft on the Sargasso Sea of Life. You agree that this is a, a universal kid fear. All right. And now, uh, most of us stop thinking about that as time goes on. We don't think... Gee, one day, gee, one day, oh, gee, it's terrible. One day, Uncle Herman will not be here. And uh, we don't think that. We say that he raised all that stuff. See, but the kid, he does. He, he looks right there. He says, one day they're going to go, and then I'm going to be 
Really, uh, all by myself. All right, now, that's a kid's fear. Now, what else is another kid's fear? Well, a kid, generally, quite often, in fact, uh, uh, no matter who he is, he thinks of such things as, what would happen if, if, uh, if a meteor hit the Earth? Kids think of this. You see, this is, you, you understand this was the opening of the Flash Gordon series. Did you know that the beginning of the Flash Gordon comic strip began with the Earth about to be destroyed? And what planet was approaching the Earth at great speed? And Flash Gordon was the only person who could do anything about it. Huh? Venus? No, it was a non-existent planet. This planet only existed in the strip. What was the name of it? And who was the head of the planet? There was an evil dictator that was running the planet. Well, I'll give you a clue as to the name of the dictator. Maybe if I say Castro, you immediately think of Cuba, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. If I say uh, Brezhnev, you think of uh, the Kremlin, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. If I say Ming the Merciless, you think of... No, not Rome, for crying out loud. You've seen too many episodes of The Godfather. I ain't crazy. No, where was, where was Ming the Merciless? Where did he hail from? <laughs> it's hard to say that Ming hailed from somewhere. And now while you're thinking this uh, serious technical question about the impending end of the Earth, let's get out to a more mundane and earthbound subjects. <laughs> well, you know, a circus is, uh, you know, uh, every time I hear the word circus, I hear that music, I start sweating inside. I don't think I ever told you about my experience with the circus. You know that I appear in a book that was written by one of the greatest lion tamers who ever lived. Or at least he's one of the most famous lion trainers. Uh, did you ever hear of a lion trainer named Clyde Beatty? Okay. Well, he wrote a book. And in this book, I appear not named. However, I appear. <laughs> because of an unbelievably stupid thing that I was once involved in. Totally stupid. Absolutely. Oh, stupid. Do you, have you ever done something so stupid when you look back on it you, you figure your head must be made out of some kind of turnip. You know, and you wonder how in the hell you can ever get your, you know, the leaves on the top of your head trimmed at the barber, you know. Turnip. Dumb, dumb. And I'll tell you what it, how it happened. I was, uh, I was going to school, see. And um, I was a bright-eyed, dewy-eyed, uh, uh, elfin-cheeked, you know. And I was going to school, and... Uh, and I was working at this unbelievably rotten television station, which we will not even go into. This is a television station. You know, the t this, this kind of TV station, uh, yet it didn't have reruns. Now, you know, you always relate the, you know, bad TV with old reruns, you know, the station that's constantly running Route 66, uh, you know, the old black and white Vince Edwards shows and stuff. Well, this station was so rotten that they couldn't even qualify with the budget that they had to buy old, like, 27th-use reruns. You'll never guess what they had on all day long. Had a picture of a clock. You know, we, 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 we got this clock that they bought somewhere down at the Salvation Army, some electric clock. See, it was a fake Western Union clock, and it just kept saying the time. And once in a while, a hand would come into the picture. It was the only engineer we had. The hand would come into the picture, and he would change a little card that was supposed to be the temperature of the day, see? <laughs> and you know where we got it from? Well, I'll tell you where we got it from. We had 
this little thermometer that said uh, souvenir of the Acme Lumber Company. And it was on the outside of the building. He'd run out and look at it, see. It was a terrible-looking <laughs> thermometer. Run back at thermometer. It's, we used to get the damnedest temperatures, too, like it would be 87 in December. You know, it wouldn't make a difference. That's what it said, see. <laughs> we often had the below zero Julys, too, so it didn't matter. Nobody watched the station, and, and uh, it was all academic. And uh, this thing was on all the time. Then once in a while, they would interrupt it with, uh, with what they called the film festival. Now, the film festival consisted of home movies that the manager made with his little, uh, he, he actually did. He had a little Eastman Super 8 home movies. The people just actually watched that, you know. It's wild. And uh, our biggest show, our absolutely biggest show, was a show in which the assistant mayor would come in every two or three nights and give a report on the, how the city was going. The only trouble is it was a one-camera show, and the, the engineer would also did the fading, and he did everything else, the shading and the whole bit. Thing. So he'd run in and set up the camera, run around in there, and the camera had a very bad tripod on it, and it would slowly sink. And by the end of the show, you were looking at the at the mayor's vest, you know, going up and down. You'd see his elk tooth hanging there. Didn't matter. <laughs> That's truly what we would call folk grassroots television. So on one, one awful afternoon, see, uh, I, I was uh, summoned into the manager's office, see, which is kind of silly. The, the, the television station was in the manager's office. And so he just says, get out of the screen there for a minute. Come over here. And so, uh, see, I did all the shows on this TV station, uh, all the shows, you know, all the live shows. For example, we had uh, Walter Cronkite rubber wig, you know, with a rubber face. I came on, I played Walter Cronkite. And uh, you can get those, you know, for little stations. Yes, you can also buy a John Chancellor face if you want. Uh, one of the greatest faces we had, though, was a Milton Burrow face. I, I, I'd come out there. That was when Burrow was big. See, I would come out there and pretend like they were watching the Texaco Theater or whatever it was. Yeah, and I did Pratt Falls and threw pies at the camera and everything. It was a great show. So, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know why you guys are laughing. <laughs> this, is, this is terrible. What was really bad about it was a bus ride. So, uh, you know, that's what you always get in the miners, bus rides. So, uh, nevertheless, one day he said that we, we worked a deal, buddy. He never learned my name. I was, of course, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't using my real name on that television station. So he said, that, hey, buddy, he says, I got a, got a thing we're going to do. And I said, what? He says, well, we're going to do a remote. I said, a remote? See, our remote consisted of weaning the camera out into the hall. That was a remote, see, and... Uh, uh, you know, you, well, you think it's funny. You know what we had out there? He would reel out in the hall out there. And we, we were on the third floor, this, uh, this uh, like a decrepit bank building. And there were dentists on all sides of the studio. You could, once in a while, you hear the drills and the screams of the wounded coming through. And, uh, yeah, there were dentists up there. And they never really knew what we were doing. <laughs> all we had was up there, Channel 928. You know? And uh, they figured we were making dirty movies, I think, in there. So they stayed away. So when we had a remote, we would push the camera out. It had a, had a 25-foot cord on it. We were always threatening to buy a longer cord. Uh, they were saving up when I left. Those cords are expensive, right? Oh, yeah, those coaxia, big, thick things, yeah. Seven, eight dollars a foot, you know. And uh, they, were, they were thinking of buying another 10 feet, see, and so, we could, so we could move it down by the window. So we could actually point it out and see the city out there. <laughs> so we never could quite make it to the window. So we'd push the camera out. And he had purchased, it was kind of nice, he purchased down at the, one of the local five and dimes, I think it was Woolworths or someplace. You know that you can buy these big stick-on wallpaper city scenes 
You know, you can actually buy him, see. Well, he tried to buy it. This was the, the city in, in connection with Toledo. He wanted to get a city seat of Toledo, see. So, you know, we could go out in the hall and do our news, like, the, you know, the city was behind us and all that. But he couldn't get Toledo down there at the Woolworths. They did not have a city scene of colorful Toledo. <laughs> all we could get was Paris. <laughs> For some incredible reason, we used to do the news out in the hall with a backdrop of Paris behind us. Yeah, it looked real live, you know. Oh, the Eiffel Tower, the whole bit, tourists, and the whole scene, you know. And uh, strangely enough, it was tourists of the, of the uh, early 1900s. The guys were all walking around the street with derby hats. You know, ladies with big, uh, long dresses. But that didn't matter. That was typical of our news anyway. You know, we were still reporting on the Warren G. Harding election. Because you see what he did. He bought a lot of old used newsprint. We never got a machine. We got a lot of old used newsprint. We just read it. But the... <laughs> All right, you think it's funny? Our biggest newscasts were like a lady would call in, and a typical example of, of the news desk, it, the news desk, by the way, was the only, I was the news desk, see, I was everything. So uh, the news desk, uh, the phone would ring, and uh, we had this old lady who, uh, who'd been dispossessed somewhere, and she was working for us now to answer the phone thing. She was hoping one day she'd be put on salary. We were auditioning her. So, uh, the phone would ring, and she'd pick up the phone, oh, it's channel 926. And then somebody would say, hey, quick, give me the news rope. Well, at which point, <laughs> she turned turn to me and say, newsroom. I'd say, mm -hmm. all right, all right. I'd pick up the phone, oh, newsroom. And the uh, guy'd say, uh, hey, I want to announce a cookie sale. We got a cookie sale going down here. It's at the American Legion Hall on Huron Street. It's going to be Wednesday. And uh, we got on cookies. Uh, we got uh, chocolate chip, hey, uh, any of them chocolate chip cookies, Cliff? Yeah, we got chocolate chip cookies. And all the money goes to buy balls and bats for the American Legion ball team. Okay, you got it. Next Wednesday, hot news flash. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you. This is uh, Channel 924 News. I'd hang up, and that would be the lead story that night. That was our local coverage. You know, the cookie sale down at the American Legion Hall. <laughs> So, you ever work in a station like that? Oh, you have a lot coming. And uh, anyway, on this night, you want to hear about what happened with the circus? On this night, see, the, the manager says, we're going to do a remote. He says, uh, they're renting the cable. And I said, who's renting? He says, yeah, they're, 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 we've got a big deal now with the Shriners. You remember the Shriners? You know, the guys with the feathers and all that? So, uh, yeah, they were very big in places. We're going, to, we're going to do a deal with the Shriners, and they're going to pay for the remote. And they've rented a remote truck. I said, remote truck, you know, just like TV. And he says, yes, the real thing. We've rented Channel 2's remote truck, <laughs> the real television station. So uh, that night, the entire cast, you know, all the engineers from Channel 2, they were all hired, see, by the Shriners. And uh, what I was to do was to go down to the Civic Center, and they were having the circus down there, the Clyde Beatty Circus. They had a big circus. Well, you'll never guess what I did that night. No, no, not in the center ring. That's nothing, buddy. The center ring, that's, that's, that's greasy kid stuff. Somebody got the idea. Since after all, this was a cheap cockamamie television station, maybe we'd have a first. I didn't realize what the first they were thinking of having was. But I broadcast, believe me, you've never seen anything like it in your life. I did a, a remote out of the lion and tiger cage, the interior of it, 
<laughs> with a microphone and the engineers on the outside with a camera right over my shoulder, see? And, and Clyde Beatty is in there with me, sweating like hell. When they told him that he was going to do this, he, he looked, I, I noticed he looked strange. He's going to listen. I said, yes, Mr. Beatty. He said, no, listen, when you get in there, don't you move. He says, don't you move and don't you turn your back on nothing. He says, and always keep me between whatever's in there and you, right? I says, well, of course. I thought, you know, they wouldn't do this unless it's perfectly safe. I had this idea. You know, oh, there's no problem with this. So sure enough, big as, uh, you know, big as brass and everything, I walk out in the center ring and they, they announce to the crowd that this is a first. And as far as I know, it's still the only time it's ever been done. I don't think it's ever been done again. For obvious reasons. I went in the, in the center ring there, see, and, and uh, they let me in a cage. And there's a guy standing on the outside of the cage with a rifle. Oh, sure, they have to have this. He's got a rifle, see. And he's all dressed up like a ringmaster, but he's, he's got that he's got that thirty odd six Springfield with him. I could tell you, know, the a lot of weapon. And he says, "No, listen, buddy." He says, "He says if if, if, uh, if there's any problems, he says, I, he says I want you to he says I want you to move fast." This guy, <laughs> he says, "Move fast towards this door." He says, "I'll hold them off." I said, You'll hold them off? He says, "I'll hold them off." I figured they had these old lions with rubber teeth, you know. They took the poison glands out of the. Out of the tigers and all that stuff. See? Oh, 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 hey, you got a little echo chamber in there? Let's just try a little bit here. Just hello. That's it. Hold it now. I remember the moment when the ringmaster stepped out, and you know the guy with the hard, tall silk hat. You remember Super Circus? Claude. Uh, <laughs> Claude always on Super Circus. There, he was the ringmaster. And uh, this guy came out, and the band went, and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, a first for the Clyde Beatty, Barnum and Bailey Circus, a first in all the world, a television broadcast featuring an intrepid television reporter reporting direct from the center ring with 35 raging lions and tigers. And now, here he is in the center ring. And the crowd cheered, and I look around, you know, and there I am, sitting with a microphone. And then he said this. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the greatest lion tamer in the world, the famous Clyde Beatty. Well, Beatty came in the ring wearing his white, he had a white uh, jacket on, he had these white high pants with the black boots, and he was, wow, he was out of tense. I could see it, see, and I just thought it was part of his act. And he has about seven whips. Pow, pow. He goes, pow, pow, and he's got a chair, and he starts circling around. At that point, they opened up a chute, and in came, good God, he came running across the ring <laughs> right at me. It was the biggest Bengal tiger you ever see. And you know, when a Bengal tiger runs at you, he makes a funny sign. He goes, did you know that? They have a, and he stopped, he skidded. And he sort of crunched back, and his eyes were yellow. I mean, there were like two searchlights. And I'm on a, on a mic. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm right here in the center ring. Boy, this is exciting. Look at that beautiful tiger. He's going... <laughs> and Beatty moved like a shot. Then he goes, pow, pow, pow. And this lion goes... <laughs> right behind him, the lion goes... Uh, uh, uh. They got a different sound. He goes... Uh, uh. And the tiger's going... <laughs> and the both of them go up on these chairs. Look down at me. Right down he kept going. And then he goes, huh? And the paw would go, huh? Well, the next thing I know, the cage is filled with these mothers. And they're all looking right at me. And their paw would go, huh? And Beatty's circling around, sweating. And Beatty moves back and he says, 
He says, he says, cut it quick, get it, get it, get it, cut it quick, cut it quick. I said, what do you mean? Ladies and gentlemen, we still have 15 minutes on the air. He says, cut it quick. The guy says, quick. And they're going, one jumps down and runs around the ring. And Beatty goes, pow, pow, with a cap gun, you know, pow, pow. The thing jumps back up. I just thought it was a groove, you know. Well, five minutes later, I'm out of the ring, and the guy with the 30 aught six, he's putting down a clip. I can see he's, he's got the clip, though. <laughs> he's got these nickel-plated, soft, soft-nosed dumbbells. And I go out and he says, my God, is he out of your mind? And I says, no, it's a great show, great show. It's a great show. You know, all 40 of our, our viewers loved it. You know, the ones that I with the clock fans, they loved it. It was only years later. Somebody sent me a copy of the Clyde Beatty book. And Beatty, in one chapter, says, the most dangerous thing, the wildest thing I ever did, was the night that this guy, this television guy, is in the center ring. He says, every last one of the animals was ready to go that night. He says, I can hold off one. I can hold off three. But in 35, forget it. It's all over. He says, this guy kept walking around, jabbering away. He says, the lions and tigers were scared because of the... Because of the mic cable that ran through, they thought it was a snake. And then they thought he was some kind of a polar bear. Oh my God, I didn't realize. Here I shared Clyde Beatty's most dangerous moment. <laughs> that dumb and happy. <laughs> so, friends, getting back to the subject of fear, maybe you're not fearing the right things. Maybe you think taxes are what's going to do you in, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought recently of lightning? Have you thought recently of uh, the earth suddenly opening up and swallowing you? And all of Madison Avenue? Right down to the center of the earth, huh? It's happened in other places. In the world. Oh, there's some real things to worry about, buddy. Real things. This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.